Well, our message series is called Follow God's Heart. We're studying the life of David, whom the Bible calls a man after God's heart. And we want to learn how to follow God's heart in our own lives also. Now, what does that mean to follow God's heart? It means to follow God's plan and purpose for our lives. Following God's heart does not mean that our lives are going to be a bed of roses. That everything is just going to work out and we're not going to have any problems or any adversity. God allows adversity and trials to come into our lives from time to time. And so today we're going to talk about that as we look at David's life. The message is entitled, Patience in Adversity. Now that's a dangerous prayer to pray. God, give me more patience. Uh, because uh, he will put things into your life that will cause you to grow in your patience or are designed to cause you to grow in your patience. But even if you don't ask for patience, God still wants to work it in, in your life. So how should we respond to adversity or trials in our lives? Well, the normal human response we see in the nation of Israel. What did they do? They grumbled and complained. When anything difficult happened, they grumbled and complained and was God happy with that? Not at all. They didn't trust Him. Sometimes people get down or discouraged in adversity or trials in their lives. But those reactions are not how we should react to adversity. I'm going to jump to the New Testament for a couple of verses to introduce our topic this morning. James 1, 2, and 3. It says, Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so the trials that come into our lives, sometimes people think they're just random events. Well, nothing that happens in your life is a random event. God is in control. The Bible teaches us that God allows trials to come into our lives so that we can grow spiritually. And in James chapter 1, he shows us that trials are the way that God tests our faith. Now, when you take a test in school, I mean, what are the two main outcomes? I mean, there's in-between outcomes, but basically there's two main out outcomes, right? And some tests are like that, right? They either pass or fail, right? And so when God gives us a test, he doesn't give us the test so that we fail. He wants us to pass the test. And he's going to give us everything that we need to pass the test that he allows into our lives. And we pass the test by trusting in God and, and following the wisdom that he gives to us. And the end result, James tells us here, is that when our faith is tested and we pass the test, it's going to result in steadfastness or perseverance. I mean, we are growing in our trust and faith in God. In fact, patience, which we will grow in patience as we pass the test as well, is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That God wants those fruit to grow in our lives. So when we understand now the purpose of trials and adversity in our lives, how should we respond? Not grumbling, not complaining, not getting down, not getting discouraged. Count it all joy. Sometimes the Bible isn't easy to follow, is it? To follow God's, uh, you, you know, what, you get the flat tire, count it all joy. 
Where did that nail come from? I don't know. Count it all joy. The New Living uh, Translation says that you should consider the trial an opportunity for great joy. Now, we don't rejoice in the bad or difficult thing that happened. We rejoice in the outcome that God's going to bring out of that. So, you know, something terrible can happen in somebody's life or in our lives. We don't rejoice in the terribleness. We rejoice in what God is going to work in and through that. Now, sometimes trials are not just a one-and-done deal. You know, some trials, they come into our lives and it's an isolated incident and they go away. Other trials go on for extended periods of time. We may respond with joy at the beginning, but sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers as quickly as we would like. Anybody ever notice that? And what's he trying to do? Develop patience and perseverance. And so we may respond with joy at the beginning of the trial and then slowly we get worn down. Let's look at another verse, Galatians 6, 9. It says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so this whole passage is talking about sowing good things, sowing good deeds, doing the right things. And if you do that, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up, if you don't grow weary, if you don't get discouraged. And so we mustn't give up on God bringing us through. In God's timing, we're going to reap a harvest of blessing. And so when we grow patience in the midst of adversity, that's going to lead to blessing. And I can rejoice in blessing. I can rejoice in the blessing that's coming through a trial that I really didn't order, but God ordered for me. Today we pick up the story of David from last Sunday. Uh, if you didn't, weren't here last Sunday or didn't watch last Sunday's message, we encourage you to watch it. It's uh, online, on YouTube, on our website. David had been anointed to be the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. However, King Saul was still on the throne, and he was drifting farther and farther away from God in everything that he did. David was still working in the king's court as we begin our passage today. So today we're going to learn some principles on how to respond to adversity from David's life. Let's look at the importance of a believing friend. God doesn't want us to go through life as lone rangers for Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. He wants us to go through life with believing friends who can encourage us, who can support us, especially in times of difficulty. So let's begin with 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, who was Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So after David defeated Goliath, King Saul brought David into his royal court to serve. And while David was there, Saul's son Jonathan and David got acquainted and became very close friends. 
Now, contrary to King Saul drifting away from God, Jonathan had a strong faith in God. And we're going to see that Jonathan sided with David as the conflict between Saul and David grew more intense. 1 Samuel 19, verse 2. We're going to go through a number of chapters here today. I'd encourage you to read for yourself this week. We're going to pick out some of the high points to understand our topic this morning. It says, And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. So what was the problem? Well, King Saul was jealous of David's success. Beginning with killing the giant Goliath. The king didn't kill him. This little shepherd boy killed Goliath. Continuing on with other successes, every time Saul gave David something to do, he did it well, and it was well received by the people. King Saul didn't want David to become king. Uh, he wanted to be king, I guess, forever. Uh, he certainly didn't want David to be king. He wanted his son Jonathan to be king. The Bible records that an evil spirit came upon Saul from time to time and drove him into a, a furious anger against different people. We're going to see some of that today. Saul tried on multiple occasions to kill David. Of course, that would eliminate the threat to the throne. And he had no compulsion against doing that. And yet, David's friend Jonathan warned David of Saul's plans, even though Saul was his father. And so we see that God was using Jonathan to help David in this difficult time. David's friend warned him of, Paul's, of Saul's plans and helped him to escape. And so David left the king's court and became a, a, a fugitive. Well, Saul figured out who gave David an opportunity to escape. And so he was not happy with his son, Jonathan. Chapter 20, verse 30, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Now that probably would be translated differently if they did it accurately, but uh, it's probably not too good for the Bible. So, And he said to him, uh, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And so he wanted David to be killed. And shortly after these verses, Saul threw another spear at Jonathan to kill his own son. Now he tried that with David now. I don't know if angels deflected the spear or he just wasn't very accurate at throwing, but they missed. And uh, that, was, that was a good thing. God protected both David when Saul tried to kill him and his friend Jonathan from this demonic fury. And so David's faithfulness to his friend, uh, well, Jonathan's faithfulness to his friend David was really amazing. First of all, David was God's anointed but Jonathan's father, Saul, was the king. And so to side with David was to say that David was going to take over the kingship. 
Secondly, Jonathan put his own life at risk in supporting David. He knew his father. He knew it was not going to go well with him if he supported David. And finally, Jonathan put his own needs, his own plans, because he was the one who normally would be in succession to Saul. And he was supporting God's anointed one, David. And so, Jonathan would never be king if David became king. So we see how Jonathan helped David. Now, as you read through the chapters, you see many ways that he helped David escape from Saul's plans. And so we see the great importance of having a believing friend in times of adversity. So where can we today find believing friends? Well, there's a number of places. First of all, in our families, if uh, our spouse or our children are believers, they can be believing friends that can support us, certainly. In our church family, that's the obvious place. That's one of the reasons God calls us to be part of church families, so that we can support one another, so that we can help one another through times of trial and times of adversity in our lives. When we talk about having a believing friend, it's, it's not just a casual friend. It's, it's, it's a close friend. And how do you build a close friendship with somebody else? Well, you spend time with the other person. The other person doesn't have to be exactly like yourself. They can be different. Oftentimes, younger people can learn things from older people. And uh, contrary to popular belief... Uh, well, I don't know what I should say, but older people have wisdom that young people should learn from. And uh, that is, the Bible clearly, clearly teaches that as well. Best friendships are often between two different kinds of people. You don't need to have a whole lot of friends. Now, actually the word friend is, one of the words that's kind of abused, right, in our, in our uh, social media, is it not? So we talk about on Facebook, you know, I have hundreds or thousands of friends. Are they really your friends? Do you really know all these people? For most people, the answer is no, I, I don't. They just click something and we're friends. So we're talking about close friends that you can share with. Close friends brought into your life by God. People that you can talk to. People that you can ask for prayer. People that you can pray for if they have an issue in their lives. And if you're lacking in those close friends, ask God to help you. To give you the courage maybe to reach out, to get to know somebody new. And God will help you in that. We also need to seek God in these trials that come into our lives from time to time. First Samuel 21, verse 7. says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Dog, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. So after this last episode of Saul's fury where he tried to throw the spear at his son, Jonathan, Jonathan encouraged David to go on the run to keep safe. And, and David became a fugitive. Now as a fugitive, he visited a company of priests at a city called Nob. And they needed food. And the priests had food. And he, they received food from the priests there. 
And also, for some reason, I don't really know how it got there, the sword of Goliath was there. And that sword was given to David. David must have been some warrior to wield the sword of Goliath because it was a huge sword. Unfortunately, this evil man, Dog the Edomite, a chief in Saul's government of all his herdsmen, was there. And he reported back to Saul that these priests had received David and helped him escape. Well, Saul then responded and said he wanted Dog to kill all the priests. Not only the priests, all the men, the women, and the children of the entire city of, of Nob. And so Dog led the attack and hundreds of people perished simply because that city had welcomed David and helped him and his men who were fugitives from the king. One prisoner or one person from the city of Nob escaped the massacre. One and only one, his name was Abiathar. And he came and found David. It says in verse 22, And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would, not, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. And so David was grief-stricken. I mean, he really hadn't done anything wrong, but the occasion of his visit to this city had resulted in the slaughter of so many innocent people. But there was nothing that David could do. It was a trial that had come into his life. God had permitted it. And he wrote a psalm. In Psalm 52, the whole psalm is about what happened at this time in David's life. Verse 7 and 8 says, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And so the first part of this verse speaks of these men that slaughtered these innocent people. Saul and Dog. They're evil men. They were not making God their refuge. They were not following God's way. They just wanted raw power. But David, you see here, did make God his refuge. David says, I am still like a green olive tree. That's a, that's a good thing. You know, it's not a dried up one. It's a tree that bears fruit. And he's in the house of God. He's still walking with God. Even though he is not king, even though he's running for his life, hiding, scrounging for food, sleeping in the country, God was still protecting him during this entire time. And this entire time, we mentioned it last Sunday, lasted 15 years. David was on the run. Been anointed to be king, Saul was still king. And we see in the midst of that difficult time, that difficult season in David's life, 15 years long, he continued to seek God. He continued to draw close to God. And we see he wrote many psalms in that period of his life that we read today 
and are encouraged by. And so the best thing to do in trials is to seek God. Now, each of us faces trials in our lives today. How many have ever faced a trial in your life? I see pretty many hands go up. Each of us faces trials in our lives, difficult times. Trials are all kinds of trials. Some trials can be caused by other evil or bad people that are doing wrong things uh, that cause us harm. Other trials are simply the result of living in a fallen world. I mean, the reason I mentioned the flat tires, I just, we got new tires and all of a sudden, there's a slow leak. It's like, and I, I couldn't see anything in there. And, you know, it's, kept filling it up, kept going down. Took it in. Well, you have a nail in your tire. Where did it come from? Nobody did that. Nobody went and pounded a nail. It's just part of living in the world, a small trial. Oftentimes, we don't know how we should respond. But we need to believe that God's got a plan. And uh, His plan is, is a good plan. And not only does he have a plan, he's got, he gives us a promise to give us wisdom in the trial. Now the nail in the tire, it was pretty easy, you know, go to, the, to a car shop and they'll patch it and, and uh, it cost a little money. I prayed and God didn't do a miracle and patch it for me. So, you know, we, we went and did that. So as we ask God for wisdom, we need to believe He's going to give us wisdom. One of the worst ways to react to a trial is, I don't know what to do. I mean, there's no way of escape. There's, and get all frazzled. God's got a plan. You just have to figure out what that plan is. What is the next step? You seek God, He'll give you the next step. He'll lead you through that trial. He'll continue to provide for you and your family as you seek Him even though the devil may throw some huge trial at you. Don't give in to despair or discouragement. God has promised to never leave you. He's with you, as he was with David, in the midst of every step of that trial. We seek God in the midst of trial. And finally, maybe one of the most important points is to trust in God's timing. Trust in God's timing. First Samuel 24, verse 4. It says, And the men of David said to him, said to David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now what's going on here? Well, Saul continued to try to track David down so that he could capture him and kill him. David kept evading Saul's troops. And David had amassed some men that were following him as well, but they weren't nearly strong enough, of course, to oppose the king's army. Two years after David became a fugitive, David and his men were hiding in a cave, unbeknownst to Saul, who was prowling around looking for David. Well, Saul came into that very cave when David saw him come in. You know, I assume you can, you know, if you're back in the darkness of a cave, you can see who comes in, but the person coming in can't see who's way in the back. Well, David snuck up 
and cut off the corner of Saul's robe in the darkness of the cave without Saul knowing what had happened. And David's men say, you know, now is your chance. Kill him and take the kingship. Now is your chance. This is what you ought to do. And so David again resisted his men in verse 24. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David recognized that the prophet Samuel had anointed Saul as king. And even though Saul was not following the Lord, he was, it was not David's place to kill him. As God had given the anointing to Saul, it was God who needed to take that away. It was not David's place to take revenge on Saul. And so not only did David not strike Saul himself, he forbade his troops, his soldiers, from killing Saul as well. On another occasion, Saul uh, was sleeping in a camp, encampment, and David and his men came upon Saul there. They crept into the camp under the cover of darkness. And one of the men, Abishai, asked David for permission to kill Saul. Sleeping soundly, they were there, they had their weapons, now was the time. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Again, David understood God's authority to place people in leadership, that God had a timing, God had a plan, he'd been anointed, it would happen in God's timing, not in David's timeline. And so on these two occasions, David chose to trust God. Even though his life was miserable for 15 years on the run, God was the one who was in control. And David chose not to take revenge. I mean, this guy had tried to kill him. But leave judgment in God's hands. David waited. He went through many trials in those 15 years. We're just giving you some of the high points that passed between his anointing and eventually Saul died. Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle with the Philistines the enemies of Israel. And it was only at that point God had removed him from kingship that David then ascended to the throne. We must trust in God's timing. Now oftentimes, just get a drink of water here. Oftentimes when adversity comes into our lives, we think, Things are out of control. I mean, why is this happening to me? This was not in my plan. And so we think, you know, what can we do? We have to understand that God's plan is bigger than our plan. God sees the future. He knows what's going to happen. We don't. I mean, we, can, we should plan and we should seek to live wisely. But we don't know what's going to happen tonight, let alone tomorrow or next month or next year. But God has a plan. Things are not out of control if you're a believer. God is in control. God allows trials to come into our lives. And He's going to lead us through those trials in His timing, not ours. Now sometimes we may have the choice of personal gain over honoring God. 
And that was David's choice, I believe. Would he seek to become king by killing Saul, or would he honor God's anointing? And he chose to honor God's anointing. That was not his place to step in, to accelerate the plan, to be the agent of the plan. The waiting for the resolution of trials in our lives is part of God's plan. And it's one of the reasons why God doesn't oftentimes answer prayers quickly. The waiting period is part of how He builds character in our lives. It's part of how He builds the quality of patience in our lives. When we're hurt by another person, what are we tempted to do? Take revenge. Hurt them back. But that's not God's way. That's not God's way. It is not our place to take revenge. But leave that person in to the judgment of God. I mean, God will judge everything at one time in the future. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God. We are to, what are we to do for our enemies? Those that hurt us, those who do bad things to us. What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. To bless them. Perhaps God in His mercy will bring them into His family. Last week, we saw a play uh, with my wife Carol and Anna put on by a homeschool group about the book of Acts. It was dramatically demonstrated to us how Saul was seeking to kill the Christians, throw them in prison. Everybody was afraid of him. But I believe, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, some people were praying for the guy because God met him, revealed himself to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he became a believer in an instant. His life was totally transformed. And even after that, people were really afraid of him because he was a bad guy, a bad dude before then. But eventually... God's purpose in his life uh, was accomplished. And he served God for his entire life, wrote most of the New Testament, and uh, you know, is in heaven with Jesus now. And so God's, uh, when we pray for our enemies, who knows what's going to happen. But that's the way we as believers should react. We react to evil, not with revenge, but with love, with God's love. God's timing is is perfect. No matter what trial you may be facing in, in your life today, whether it's a financial issue, a relationship issue, a health issue, whatever it may be, God is going to see you through as you trust Him and wait for Him to move. And so as uh, this morning, there's one slide too soon, this morning I'd like to ask each one of you to think about a trial that you're going through now. Uh, some of you, it may be, oh, yes, this is the big thing uh, with me right now. And others like, well, you know, I don't know. But think of some trial that you're going through, just as an exercise this morning. Something that you're concerned about in the future. Do you have a believing friend or two that could give you counsel about how you should face that trial? That you could talk it through with them. All too often, we make our own decisions and we... We miss out on the counsel of others. Now, you don't have to take their counsel, 
Uh, he, there's bad counsel too, even they come from good people sometimes. But it's good to have many counselors when you're facing, I would say, major decisions. Are you seeking God in that trial? Or are you trying to figure it out for yourself? Oftentimes we go, I got this God, I'll figure it out. Don't really need you on this one. And things get worse and worse. And it's a good thing right at the beginning. God help me with everything. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It may seem obvious I should do this, but perhaps the obvious plan is not the right plan. Seek God in any trial that you're going through. And as you're seeking God for wisdom in the trial that you're encountering, here's the hard part, rejoice. Rejoice that God's going to bring good out of that trial. God's going to bring good out of that adversity. And finally, trust in God's timing. God knows best. God, why haven't you done anything yet? You're probably not going to hear, hear an answer come down from heaven. Just trust me. Keep on doing what I'm telling you to do, and it's all going to work out. Don't force the issue. Keep on praying, seeking God until the answer comes. So my prayer is that each one of us would grow in patience, as God allows adversity to come into our lives, and we wouldn't see it as a, a terrible thing, we would count it joy because we know God's going to work good out of it in our lives and through our lives as well. And so this morning I want to give everyone here an opportunity, as we do every Sunday, to become a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, the things that I've talked about this morning, about learning, growing spiritually, through adversity, only work for a believer. Uh, God does not work everything out for good for those who are not following Him, who are not following His plan or 